Welcome into ITP, the podcast for week four of the NFL season. Breaking down everything from week four action as well as looking ahead to week five. Talking about what is coming up during the upcoming weekend of action. And as always, I'm joined here today by Mark Schofield from InsideThePylon.com. Mark, hello, hello. Mr. Zotta, how are you this fine day? Outstanding, outstanding. And I know everyone's been talking the last couple days about the uh, the Seahawks game, and in particular, what appeared to be another blown call at the end of the Seahawks game. But you and I both know there was quite a bit of action beyond that game in the last week. That's right. And, you know, one of the things that we can talk, kind of talk about quickly is it seems, you know, every year the NFL, they have these games over on the other side of the pond. And people like to make the jokes, oh, man, this team laid an egg. That coach probably won't get to make the trip back to stateside. Well, it actually came true this season. Dolphins go over there, they lose, and Coach Philbin gets fired shortly after that game. They did let him come back on the team plane, though, correct? See, I was well, I was wondering about that. I haven't seen anything news-wise. I'm wondering if I were him, stay over there, get some fish and chips, take in some Premier League action. I mean, if you're already over there and now you don't have a job, might as well make the most of the trip, right? Yeah, I mean, you get to see, uh, what is it, the, as Brandon Merriweather said, the haunted house. You get to see, uh, you know, the palace and everything. You get yeah, to the Big Bang Big Clock. Yeah, action, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, it, it sounds like it could be a pretty decent time, so... I, uh, I'd like to see some clarification on that, but I guess, uh, as always, it's time for us to jump into the week's action, and Mark, you always, they, they always want you to do these, these live promos, so why, why don't you take us into the uh, Harry Stamper all-go play of the week? That's right. We actually got some new copy on this one as well. As always, ladies and gentlemen, the Harry Stamper all-go play of the week is brought to you by NASA. NASA, we have backup plans for our backup plans. Outstanding. That's pretty good copy. I like Outstanding. that. Outstanding. Look, you always do a great job reading it. Well, so, thank you. Thank you. Let's, let's talk about a team that uh, we've touched on in the past, and we were actually talking about Johnny Manziel earlier this year, but now looking at Josh McCown coming back into the starting role, and in particular, my, my, one of my personal draft binkies from uh, last year, Duke Johnson, running back for the Cleveland Browns, and talking about the, uh, the connection that they had on Sunday, walk us through exactly what happened. Right. Well, what's nice about this play, and it's a concept that you're seeing a lot more from a a variety of teams, they come out for this play, and they've got 21 offensive personnel on the field. That gives them two running backs and a tight end. It's kind of your basic standard run personnel grouping. So they're facing the Chargers, and the Chargers seeing that, they stay in their base 3-4 defense, three down linemen, four linebackers. But then prior to the snap, Browns empty the formation and they split both running back Duke Johnson and the fullback Malcolm Johnson out to the left. Does it seem like you're seeing, and and you mentioned that you've seen maybe a little bit of an uptick in this, it seems like we're seeing a lot more in terms of both fullbacks and tight ends split out wide this year. Right, and I think, you know, we've seen that a lot years past, obviously New England when they had Rob Gronkowski and that other tight end who shall rename nameless, they would split those guys out and it gives you a lot of options as an offense because, you know, if the, t- if the team does what they do here and they stay in base personnel, then you split those guys out and try to get them matched up on linebackers. But if they go to a sub package and then bring on extra defensive backs to try to cover these guys, then you go, you bring them back into the formation tight and kind of run the ball at them. And more and more teams are doing this. You know, we see this with the Browns, other teams that have, you know, athletic tight ends, 
Uh, we saw the Steelers do it with Heath Miller a little bit. We've yep. seen teams like the Broncos, obviously, when they had Julius Thomas, they'd like to get him outside of the formation. It gives you an advantage on a defense, and it forces the defense to make some tough choices. I mean, do you you try to go bring in a sub package, extra defensive backs to cover these guys outside? Do you stay base personnel and roll the dice with a linebacker matched up on these guys outside? Or do you state base personnel and then do what the Seahawks in the Super Bowl did this a couple of times with Gronkowski. They put Richard Sherman out, out there on the outside on yep. him. So now you've got cornerback matched on tight end, but that means you might have a mismatch somewhere else on the field. So what'd you end up seeing from uh, the Browns once they went into this formation now with both the running back and fullback split out? Right. Well, since he was a draft binky of yours, what did Duke Johnson run the 40 in? Uh, Duke, I believe he was somewhere in, I'm guessing, I want to say like Four four seven or four four eight somewhere around there, right? And and now you've got him matched outside in the slot, and he's lined up against Donald Butler, a linebacker. Yep. Now, if you're Josh McNown and you've got Speedy Rookie matched up against the linebacker, Speedy Rookie's going to run a straight vertical route. Yep, you've got to be pretty excited before the snap of the ball, right? Oh, you got to be thrilled. Yeah, you're you're doing jumping jacks and, and cartwheels. Yeah, and that's exactly what happens. You know, Johnson releases vertically, heads right to the back corner of the end zone. He kind of bends his route out to the outside a little bit. McNown drops in a beautiful pass in the back of the end zone. Johnson pulls it in over his shoulder, gets both feet down, and the Browns get six quick points. And it's just that easy. And whenever you, you know, I say this a lot, whenever you can make the game easier on yourself as an offense, whether it's, you know, taking an easy five-yard route when a, wide receivers lined up and he doesn't have anybody across from him or like this where you get a speedy running back matched up against the linebacker take what the defense gives you make the game easier on yourselves and that's what the browns did here they went on they lost this game but it's still a nice example of how scheme personnel play design and perfect execution comes together to make a big play now, we are going to be joined by a guest in just a minute here. Before we go to him, if we look at this from the perspective of Duke Johnson in fantasy football, is this something that the Browns are going to be able to exploit throughout the rest of the year, or is the secret out now? Are you going to start to see teams keying on him in the passing game a little more? Yeah, I mean, in terms of whether the secret's out, maybe teams will, now they've seen it on film, but again, it gets us back to what can a defense actually do. Because say, you know, the Browns, they play Baltimore this week. Say, you know, they have that same 21 personnel, but now the Ravens and Coach Harbaugh have seen this one play. Do they really want to go with their sub-personnel right now and then risk themselves to the running game? Yep. Yeah. I mean, so- that's just, the, you know, again, you can try to come up with a scheme to slow this concept down, but it's really tough. And again, as a defense, you're forced into a position where you might want to make, make choices that leave you exposed in other areas of the field. Yeah, and so I think in terms of if you're looking at this from the perspective of, I guess if you're a Browns fan, okay, clearly you're sitting there saying, okay, this is something where at least from their perspective, they have to be excited about Duke Johnson going forward now just because he does appear to have a little bit of explosiveness. And in particular, you know, you have a team that lost Josh Gordon, pretty much their best offensive player due to the fact that he's just unable to stay on the field. Now it does at least appear that you have some offensive weaponry here. 
Right. And, you know, if you're a Browns fan or if you're, like you said, a fantasy owner that might have Johnson in a, you know, a dynasty type league where you can hold on to him for a year or two and see how he develops. Because it looks like Cleveland's going to find ways to get him the football, whether it's as a running back or out in space and lined up as a wide receiver like we saw here. You've got to be excited about that aspect of your offense as a Browns fan or if you own Johnson in a fantasy league or a dynasty type fantasy league. Absolutely, absolutely. Let's take a quick look now also. One of the other major stories that really everyone was talking about over over the last couple of days, aside from the Seattle situation, just because obviously that's been a major talking point as well, but when we look at what's been going on with kickers. Right. I know you're a quarterback, Mark. I know that you haven't liked kickers along the course of your career. Oh, don't say that. Kickers have been my best friend, man. I could never finish drives when I was playing quarterback, so we need you guys to come through. Mark, I, I never even played with you, but you used to push me when I when 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 I was when I was looking for my lunch money at lunch and everything. You used to take my lunch money and it hurt, man. It hurt. But I, I, I took your lunch money because, you know, kickers you guys are a different breed. I was just trying to make sure if I could, you know, maybe invest it wisely for you. Well, I, believe me, I need all the help I can get there, but we're actually going to take a quick segue now. We are now joined by our first guest of the day. It is Daniel Syed from SyedSchemes.com. You can also follow him on Twitter, at SyedSchemes. And Daniel, appreciate you coming on today. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. It's been great to be on. Absolutely. Now, Daniel, I know that uh, some of our uh, readers and listeners might be familiar with your work, but for those who aren't, why don't you give them just a quick little 30-second background in terms of uh, some of the work that you do both for your own website as well as some of the collaborations that you've been helping us out with inside the pylon? Yeah, sure. Sounds great. So uh, I created my website about a year ago, and uh, what I really wanted it to be is, you know, I'm a former coaching player. I wanted it to be useful for those interested in learning the intricacies of the game. You know, that can be aspiring GMs or scouts or coaches, uh, all the way down to fans. Um, I've had, you know, freshman JV coaches, varsity coaches reach out to me saying they use it to teach the players. Uh, and I also have a segment so fans can learn kind of the big plays um, of the week. And it taught me more. I came across a lot of sites. Now, uh, what I love is, you know, inside the ponds doing a comprehensive glossary and it's combining all this football talent and expertise from everywhere for to, uh, to help people learn the game. So, you know, if you, somebody hears a term, read a term that they don't know, they can put it into the glossary. So I'm, I'm really glad to uh, be helping out with that. Now, you mentioned that obviously you've done some coaching in the past, and, and so you're familiar with what coaches are looking to do really on a week-in, week-out basis. When, when we look at NFL coaching staff so far this season, what staffs do you think have been able to really put their players in the best position to be successful? Yeah, so I mean, first of all, I, you know, I, I do think that it's a player's league and coaches do lose more games than they win, but it's about coaches putting themselves in, in the, their players in the best position uh, possible. And, you know, my expertise is on the offensive side of the ball. So when I'm watching tape this year, I really like what a few guys are doing, you know, just starting with Kyle Shanahan. So he brings his uh, patented zone scheme to the Falcons, and I really like how he's adapted it. Uh, to the Falcons personnel, he stays in 11 personnel, which is the three wide receivers, uh, one tight end, and he's moved around to Leo Jones a lot, whether it's slot, uh, outside, and he's really helped out this offensive line uh, with play action and staying committed to the running game. The, the Falcons' O-line really struggled last year, and they didn't, they didn't draft anyone high in the draft or go out and make any big uh, free agent acquisitions. 
Uh, so I think that Kyle Shanahan's really, really helped out that situation. Uh, next, uh, I would look at Hugh Jackson for uh, the offensive coordinator in Cincinnati. Andy Dalton has been playing great, uh, but I think some of that is definitely attributed to Jackson's second year with uh, Dalton. And when I, when I watch Bengals film, I love what they're doing formation-wise, motion-wise. They, they shift a lot early in the game, and I think it really helps Dalton process the defense uh, early in the game. Jackson's been really balanced. He has a ton of weapons to use. Um, and it's really, it's really helped Dalton out of pressure. I'm really interested to see this week against Seattle what kind of formations and uh, he uses early in the game to, to help to help Dalton because Seattle plays a simple simple defense. So it, we'll see how it goes from there. And then lastly, actually, uh, kind of surprising, uh, the first year offensive coordinator Frank Signetti from the Rams. I really like what he's doing with Tavon Austin. I think he's exploiting a skill set. I've uh, watched recently a nice end-around uh, split-zone package that I'll probably be writing about. And then, you know, of course, there's there's the negative aspect of it, and it's easy to kind of jump on these guys, 1-3 and three and 0-4, oh and but when I watch the Dolphins and Bill Lazor, um, I think they're, you know when you look at the stats, they are throwing the ball downfield, but I think it's about timing. It's really easy to throw the ball downfield when, you, when it's third and 10 or when you're down 17. But I, I don't think they're throwing the ball down the field early. Um, and there's, I think, a complete lack of balance. They're throwing the ball almost 75% of the time, and especially with an offensive line that's banged up. That's, that's not going to be uh, that's not gonna be conducive for winning formula. And lastly, I think Joe Lombardi of the Lions, he, it's, it's odd. You, you want structure in your in your offense, but it's almost some of the beauty of Stafford and Calvin when you look over the years has been their their scramble, kind of running around in improvised kind of plays. And uh, I haven't seen any of that from from Stafford yep. uh, and Calvin this year. So definitely want to look more stuff. So those are those are some of the uh, the ups and downs on the coaching end that I've seen. Absolutely. Now we've got about one minute left just before we have to uh, jet over to uh, another segment here, but. Talking briefly with you, I, I know that you tend to focus on line play as well, which for, for mortals like myself, I look, I don't understand half of what goes on on an offensive or defensive line. I wish I knew more. But in particular, want to talk to you a little bit about what is going on with the New England Patriots and the, the shuffling that we're seeing on the interior of the offensive line there. And this is something we've seen from them the last couple of years. And my question to you is, do you think this is something that is going to continue throughout this year? Or is it something that we're going to see them settle into a more traditional operation where they have the same five linemen out there for the majority of the game? So, I, yeah, it's a, I really find this fascinating. And I think the Patriots did a little bit of this last year and then settled in. Um, so I think there's, there's pros and cons to this. I think, you know, Coach Belichick loves having depth, and it really it gives experience to, to all his players. And I think it also makes it tougher to, for opponents to prepare. You know, if I'm – a defensive coach, and I see this guard-tackle combo is struggling with this stunt or this kind of um, blitz pressure, then I can attack that. But if there's if they're shifting around all the time, it might make it a little harder. Uh, on the other side, there is a lack of five-man continuity, and there's going to be a talent drop-off you know, somewhere if you keep changing. But it's been successful so far, and I think there's more positives with getting players' experience, uh, having depth, making players learn uh, multiple positions. Because on the inside, you know, Andrews has stayed at the center position, but 
Klein, Mason, uh, Trey Jackson, Cannon, they've all moved around a little bit. Uh, so I think it actually builds communication and continuity. So if I had to guess, I would say it's something that um, is here to stay, and especially with kind of the O-line uh, struggles around the league, I think, you'll, I think you'll see some more of it going forward. Very good. Well, Daniel, I appreciate you coming on with us today, and uh, certainly know we'll be having you on in the future as well. But thanks for everything, and uh, I know people can go check everything out on SyedSchemes.com as well. Thanks again, Dan. All right, thanks for having me. No problem. That was Dan Syed. Again, you can check out all of his work on SyedSchemes.com as well as on Twitter at SyedSchemes. Dan's also helping us out with the Inside the Pylon Glossary. If you do want to check that out, you can head right over to InsideThePylon.com. Click on the glossary button, and all of that information is there. We're up to about, I want to say, 40, 45 terms right now, so continuing to build that out. We're adding about five to seven a week, and that is going to be an ongoing project for us here. Mark, you still there? I am still here, my friend. All right. Ready to talk kickers now. It's my favorite time of the week. We don't really do this that often enough, do we? No, we don't. We should we should have more segments on. Maybe we can get, I don't know, NASA will sponsor a second segment for the kick of the week or something. Yeah, the uh, the launch of the week. I think That's that could perfect. be something. That's that perfect. that could be something we could do in uh, in future shows. But look, it's uh, people freaked out about kickers. Yeah, I, I I saw that, and you obviously get a great article up on Inside the Pylon right now. I mean, you know, obviously you've been tracking this. What what are your thoughts on the quote kicker? travesty that we're seeing right now in the NFL well look here 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 are my thoughts on it is that this is really a lot of noise that means absolutely nothing when you actually dig into the data and first I just want to look at field goals and if you look at field goals through four weeks okay this year 200 for 239 last year 200 for 236 you're talking essentially there are three more missed kicks this year than last year statistically there's no difference Kickers are the exact same this year as they are last year. Now, people said, well, what happens when you look at the different, uh, you know, if you look at different yardages, what do you see there? And and people went in and they said, okay, if you break it down by five-yard increments, it shows some pretty big changes. Well, five-yard increments, you're talking about these tiny little sample sizes that really don't matter. And so it's you can't tell enough there when you break it into just kind of Two basic uh, categories here, one for kicks under 40 yards and one for kicks over 40. For 40 and under, this year, 92.1%. Last year, 91.2%. So people said, well, kickers are getting worse at short kicks. Well, they're not actually. There's no right. difference, and if anything, they're slightly better. Okay, Longer kicks, they've actually gotten a little bit worse. No one's talked about that, but they've actually gotten a little bit worse at longer kicks. Don't know why that is. It could just be wind. It could just be that it's still a small sample size and we don't know. So I don't really place too much stock in that at this point. People have said, well, what about extra points? You know, are the extra points throwing the kickers off? Well, the data doesn't suggest that at all. The data shows that pretty much they're making the exact same number of field goals that they were last year. And in fact, on extra points, they're actually about 1% better than I was expecting. And so I look at this and say, Look, I get that they've missed some big kicks at some big, uh, some big times, but the data suggests there's nothing different, actually. Now, going forward, do you think that there will be any additional drop-off, say, as we get from you know fall becomes early winter, you've got weather, you've got you know maybe some games of playoff implications and a little bit more pressure on you guys, you kickers out there. 
do you anticipate that or do you think that, look you know these are what the numbers are and this is what they will be going forward so statistically here's what you see second half of the season kickers do get a little bit worse okay what we see is that accuracy goes down in the second half of the season by about maybe one and a half two percent over the last 15 years goes from about 82.3 down to 81.1 the vast majority of that really all of it happens on kicks longer than 38 yards. If you look at kicks between 38 and 57, okay, those go from about 72% in the first half of the season down to about 68 in the second half. So you see about a 4% drop-off on longer kicks because weather's worse. You're kicking a brick in cold weather. It's, it's just <clears throat> miserable to do. Whereas on shorter kicks, no difference. 85.4% in the first half, 85.8% in the second half. So there's no difference at all in terms of what we're looking at there. Uh, on those those different types of kicks, okay? Oh, okay. Well, I mean, the numbers kind of, I think, speak for themselves. I mean, you've got me convinced that there's not really this, like, you know, kicker problem in the NFL. That, that's, that's what I hope to do is, is look, I'm, I'm a card-carrying member of the kicker union. I, I love kickers with all my heart. I think that we're weird as hell. I mean, I'll be the first one to admit that. We're a little different. I'm a lefty, so I've got a whole set of I other mean, issues that, beyond that. Two strikes right there. Look, I... <laughs> The fact that I've found a girl who's actually wanted to hang out with me for more than a day shocks me sometimes, okay? It's, <laughs> it's mind-blowing. But kickers, for, for every, everything that people are giving them in terms of they're ragging on them right now, they're saying that you know, kickers have lost it, just not true based on the data. And so I take that personally. That's, you know, that's, you're, you're coming after me now, so I have, to, I have to do my part to defend the kickers. I defend the kicker wall with all my heart, and I'm very proud to do so. You did your job, and you did it well, so. my friend. Tried to. Tried to. That's all you can do, right? Right. And uh, turning now, we're going to move on and bring in our next guest. And we're happy to welcome back Dan Hatman. Dan Hatman is the director of the Scouting Academy at scoutingacademy.com. You can also follow him at Twitter, at Dan Hatman. You can also follow the Scouting Academy on Twitter as well. And Dan, appreciate you coming on with us today. How are we doing, guys? We are outstanding. We were just talking, uh, talking a little bit about kickers. I know this is something that you've chimed in on as well. What's your take so far this year? You know, my take is that, uh, you know, the numbers obviously show the the issue is not the accuracy. I think the issue is the expectations that people have for the kicking position, and they're getting a bit unrealistic. Where Our accuracy rates have been increasing for the last 20 years. These guys are getting very proficient. But at the same time, it's a lot like golf. It's a mental sport for these individuals. Their muscle memory has to take over, but they have to feel confident. They have to feel that from everyone around them and right now we're creating these atmospheres where if a guy misses anything all of a sudden he's on the chopping block and we're going to have kicker workouts and the fans are going to get upset we're going to sign petitions to get rid of him and then we wonder why he can't get his head screwed on straight kick the next one you know we don't do that stuff to golfers you know those guys go out there and miss a putt you know it's quiet and they get to get their self back together and they get to uh to the next d-box and yep. take it over all over again Dan, talking about expectations, and you just mentioned how teams and fan bases have to deal with the expectations game. How much of a role do you think that plays, and how much of a role do you think it should play in, say, not just kickers, but when teams and fan bases evaluate, you know, rookies or quarterbacks? Oh, Lord, it's it's a huge part of all of that. Um, the expectations game is something that has to be managed appropriately. You know, clearly we. We want these individuals to perform, to perform at a high level. That's what helps our organizations uh, perform to the best of their ability. 
but we have to understand that these are human beings, and we want to manage those expectations uh, within context. So if you have a, a new player, a rookie, as you mentioned, or especially a rookie quarterback, you know, we want to understand that the, the things that they're being asked to do now, as opposed to what they're asked to do the last few years of their life, are drastically different. We understand the context of what it's like to have a new position coach, a new coordinator, a new head coach to play in an entirely different atmosphere, and now be contractually obligated to do things. Um, and it definitely changes the game. It's one of those things that gets me so frustrated when we put player comparisons uh, at the forefront of this stuff. You know, I'm seeing right now that everybody's saying, well, Jared Goff reminds him of Aaron Rodgers. Well, I think that's lazy. I think that that is a function of memory and that you have a quarterback playing at Cal more so than Jared actually having trait by trait identical uh, characteristics to Aaron. And so what we're doing with a guy like this is we're going to build Jared Goff up all year to be the end-all, be-all. And if he misses a single pass, if he throws a single interception, if his team loses a single game, all of a sudden the fan base says, oh, he's a bust, he sucks, who's the next guy? Right. Um, taking this out kind of a bit further, when we think about how – especially rookie quarterbacks transition to the NFL. You know, there was an article recently in the Wall Street Journal about how the NFL has a quarterback problem, you know, kind of making the argument that, you know, maybe teams in college have to do things a little bit differently, maybe to get guys ready to transition to the pros. Where do you come down on that issue? Do you think that colleges need to do more to get quarterbacks ready to make that transition? Or do you kind of see, you know, College coaches have a job to win games, and if their quarterback doesn't have to identify the Mike linebacker, he doesn't need to do that, and it's on the NFL to kind of fit these guys into the right schemes. Yeah, it's absolutely on the NFL. We've been leveraging college football as our minor league forever, and it has been something where college was typically trying to chase after the NFL. And over recent years, college coaches have recognized that their job is not to um, prepare players for life in the NFL. Their job is to win football games. Their mortgage, their kids' education, the stability in a region is all predicated on wins and losses. So whatever needs to happen for that college coach to get that W instead of that L, that's what he's going to do. So until the NFL recognizes or invests in their own development infrastructure at that level, we cannot complain at all about what happens at the college level, because we've been piggybacking off of it for free for years. So, yeah, are any, any issues offensive line quarterback, any of the stuff that people want to point out and be like, oh, these guys are not ready for this, that's fine. That's on the NFL then. we got to pick up the ball and run with it and fix that. Or we're just going to have to deal with a shortage. All right, Dan, we're now four weeks into the NFL season, and kind of the quarter pull marks a good time to sit back and take stock of where teams are and where they're headed. Right now, can you give me one team out there that's kind of ahead of the curve in your mind and maybe one team that so far is just kind of behind the eight ball? Yeah, I've been impressed with uh, what's happened in Denver. And clearly they have – track record the last couple of years of being a very productive team, but we just went through an entire coaching change. So from the head guy to the position coaches all across the board, cleared house and started fresh. And again, speaking back to those expectations, you can't take that stuff lightly. There's a lot of change that just got, got implemented offensively and defensively, schematically, you know, the whole nine yards. And for these players to adapt to the changes in the scheme, for the coaches who are coming in to adapt to the player's strength, um, that meld 
has been impressive. And clearly the, the, the back and forth with Peyton Manning, is he going to be good? Is he not going to be good? Is he over the hill? Clearly we all understand that in his present condition, he doesn't bring the entire skill set that he did earlier in his career. Uh, but clearly he's been able to still be efficient, still be effective. Um, Kubiak has obviously adapted some things to best fit Peyton, and, and that's, what we're, that's the name of the game. You know, you've got to look at your players' best attributes and try to mold things around them. On the other side of the coin, the biggest disappointment to me has been Philadelphia thus far. Mm-hmm. Um, had much higher expectations um, offensively and defensively for how they've been playing. Um, you know, really happy with the front in terms of the defense. I think those players have come together. The depth of linebackers that ended up looking like a surplus, but ended up being in you know a need position. They've had some injuries there. Um, that group's been held together. The safety position looks really good. They're, they're solid down the middle defensively. I was never the biggest fan of Byron Maxwell. Hasn't quite panned out yet. But then the offense is what kind of got everybody scratching their heads. Um, right. You know, a guy like Alan Barber is a guy that I liked. I helped bring to Philadelphia. Um, he played better at tackle the last couple of years in that scheme than he has at guard. There's a night and day difference between his production at the two positions. Uh, the guys that have been playing at right guard have not been enough. It clearly had issues across the board. Even Peters and Kelsey, who have been stalwarts, have struggled. Um, and yeah, there's there's some significant issues that you know they have a, a game this week that becomes a must win because going to one and four is just not acceptable. Very good. Well, Dan, I appreciate you coming on with us today, and I know we'll be checking in with you throughout the course of the season again. Uh, enjoy the rest of the week, and we'll catch up soon. All right, thanks, guys. Absolutely. That was Dan Hatman from the Scouting Academy. You can visit them at scoutingacademy.com as well as the Scout Academy on Twitter. You can also follow Dan at Dan Hatman on Twitter as well. So appreciate Dan coming on with us. He's been on a couple times with us so far this season. And, Mark, we got about five minutes left. Let's turn and take a look at what we are uh, watching in the upcoming weekend. For me, I've kind of circled two games on the calendar here, the first being Rams-Packers. I want to see if this Rams team is able to compete against the team that is arguably the class of the NFC. Second one, I want to see Seahawks-Bengals just to see if that Seahawks team can continue to get back on the wagon and also whether that Bengals team can continue to keep rolling here. Right, yeah, and that, that Rams-Green Bay game, that's a game that I've kind of got circled on my little calendar here, too, again, for the reasons you stated, that young, talented Rams defense going up against Aaron Rodgers, who's playing at just you know such a high level, does a great job in that offense, getting the ball out quickly. Another game I'm interested in, and Dan just mentioned Denver, that Denver-Oakland game, I know typically that hasn't been much of a rivalry in the past few years, but Oakland's doing a lot of nice things with that offense with, you know, they got Carr and Cooper who look to be putting together a nice little connection. Murray as their running back. They've got a nice little offensive group to build on. And I kind of want to see that young core tested against a very stout Denver defense. In terms of worst game of the week, you know, I, I always kind of like to, to figure out the game that I have absolutely no desire to watch. And I, I think for me, it's between Jaguars-Buccaneers, which is just, I mean, I don't think anyone outside of Florida even wants to hear those names mentioned. And I think probably, maybe it's just me. I guess I guess kind of I also look at Bills-Titans just because I, I guess I just don't see a whole lot coming out of those teams right now either with the Bills losing 24-10 to the Giants last week. Well, you wound me, my friend, because those, those are two games I'm interested in because you've got the two rookie quarterbacks. Oh, Winston yeah, that's true. Mariota. That's true. So I'm going to have my eyes there, but... The Thursday night game, the Thursday night slate, I, 
we've talked about this before. I just wish the NFL could just do away with this. Have them on Thanksgiving Day and that's it because the Thursday night games are never any good. And this week, it's Colts-Texans. Does that, anybody want to watch Colts-Texans the way those two teams are playing right now? No, not even anyone in Indy or in Houston. Right. It's, no, they're, they're, they're just, they're they're just saying, look, just, yeah, they, they, don't want no, they want nothing to do with it. Right. So, you know, that's a game that, you know, I – you know, I'll probably bring up the All-22 when it's available, but I won't have that game on Thursday night. You can believe me. You know what I've always liked, actually, is uh, the, the first week of the season when they do the dual Monday night games where they do the 6 o'clock and the 9.30. Yeah, see, I like that. That's nice. And w- if what they could do is fold in these London games as well. So, you, right? you know, you wake up, you have your breakfast, you get your bacon, your eggs, and there's football. And then when you go into bed late at night, there's still football on your TV. That's that's always nice. I, I think it would be outstanding. I've always been a fan of those double Monday nights to start off the season, but I'm sure uh, the West Coast is probably why they don't do those. They can't get anyone out of work for that 6 o'clock game. But, well, you know, maybe the first, you know, football Monday needs to be a national holiday or something. Maybe we can get somebody working on I that. I like where your head's at. I like where your head's at. But, Mark, unfortunately, looks like we're out of time for the week, so we got to call it quits. Oh, it's always a shame. This is my least favorite part of the week is when this comes to an end because it's always so much fun spending time with you, man. It is very difficult. And as they say, parting is such sweet sorrow. But we are out until next week. Until then, you can follow us on Twitter at ITPylon. Also follow us on Facebook or like us on Facebook. Whatever you do on Facebook, just do it. It's facebook.com slash inside the pylon. And, of course, you can always visit us at insidethepylon.com as well. Mark, until next week, we'll be, be out. Well, my friend. All right.